0: Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for revealing Yourself to us. Thank You that You haven't kept Yourself hidden in the dark, but that You've revealed Yourself not only in creation, uh, but especially in Scripture, which points us to the pinnacle of Your revelation, Your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the exact image of God, uh, the full radiance of Your glory, and who makes. makes you, Father, known to us um, in a fullness of grace and truth. And, and so we pray as we turn to your Word, God, would you direct our eyes and our hearts to Jesus? Will we not, uh, will we not just trace interesting rabbit trails for the sake of accumulating knowledge, but would we come to this text, and, and would you teach us so that we can see Jesus, trust Jesus, and obey you through, uh, through seeing Christ? We pray for all the churches across the city, God, that this would be true as they, as they gather today, that you would bless all the churches across Boston that are seeking to be faithful to your word and faithful to the gospel, that, that you would show off Jesus in all of those congregations, Lord, that people would walk away not impressed with the preachers, not impressed even with the music, not in, impressed with, the, with, with bright lights or anything, but they would walk away impressed with you and your glory and your grace and the person and work of Jesus. Lord, specifically with this text that's calling us to to fixate and to focus on you and to trust in you, Lord, would you you make clear to each of us the the ways in which you you are desiring that to work out in our lives? God, you know the burdens that we're bringing in, you know the things that are weighing us down, you know the fears that we're facing, you know the specific promises that you have given in your word that we need to latch onto. God, would you bring all of those things to mind in our hearts as we turn to your word? And would you make those deep and real to us? We pray this for our good. We pray this for your glory, that we would step out of this place trusting and worshiping Christ even more. We pray in his name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. I remember hearing the story uh, about uh, Larry David, who was one of the creators of uh, Seinfeld, and uh, he had gone to uh, Yankee Stadium. Seinfeld was a very popular TV show, if you d- if you don't know, um, from from the '90s. You never know. Um, and so he, he had gone to Yankee Stadium, and he had uh, been shown on the big screen, as they do often, and uh, when they show someone who's popular, who has made some great art or culture, you know, usually get applause. So he's got this stadium of 20,000 people. They show him on the screen, they're just clapping, just standing ovation, 20,000 people or however many thousand people fit in Yankee Stadium. Can you imagine that? Just, just people, just 20,000 people just applauding you for effort. And so they're applauding, they're clapping, and there's one person near him in the stands that, that turns and says, hey, Larry you stink. But everybody else is clapping. And so on the, on the way home, uh, leaving the game, he's in the car with his friend, and it's his friend that tells his story. And uh, he said, on the way home, all Larry was talking about was that one guy. He's like, like, how rude was that guy? Like, how dare that guy? And he said, all he was fixated on was that one guy. And his, and his friend tells the story to kind of get across this point is that this person had 20,000 people applauding him. And what captivated his attention, what he fixated on, what he focused on, what he could not get over was the one person that said, Larry, you stink. And it gets to this idea of we can fixate, we can focus, we can zone in, we can trust in the completely wrong thing despite everything else around us telling us something different. And as we actually look at this passage from Exodus 4 with with Moses, he's he's being raised up by God to deliver his people. Uh, God's people, Israel, they're in captivity. They've been enslaved by Egypt, by Pharaoh. Pharaoh was basically making them bow down to Pharaoh rather than being able to worship God. And God is hearing the cries and groans of his people, and he's working for deliverance. He's raising up Moses to be the deliverer to set God's people free so that God's people cannot worship Pharaoh anymore, but now go worship. God in the land and in the place that He has appointed for them. And so, God is raising up Pharaoh, but Moses in the midst, or excuse me, God is raising up Moses, but Moses in the midst of being raised up for deliverance is fixating on everything except God. He's fixating on everything except God. And when you fixate on everything except God, you will do everything except obey God. And so we're going to see this problem of fixating, of focusing on the wrong thing rather than trusting in what God has said and shown. And this is important for us because think of the burdens and the trials that are facing you right now. Think of the thing that you keep, your mind is going to keep wandering to during the sermon that's going to make it hard for you to pay attention, that thing that you know you need to face or resolve or that, 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 that trial that you're stepping into, right? right? We're prone to fixate on these things rather than fixating on God who will help us through those burdens and trials. That's what we're going to see with Moses. Will he trust, focus, accept, fixate on the things that God has said and God has shown, or will he fixate and focus on lesser things? And will that hinder him from helping to lead God's people through deliverance? So let's look at this text, uh, Exodus chapter 4. We're looking at the whole chapter. So get your thumb ready to scroll on your phone. So we're going to be scrolling for a little bit. You can open your Bibles to Exodus 4. We do have one, physical, one other physical Bible in here, which is incredible. That's amazing. We have two? We have two. We have two. I think we have two physical Bibles. Three. Four. This is amazing. I love physical Bible, so this has got me excited. Um, and if you don't have physical Bible, don't worry, we will have this, <laughs> which is also physical. So Exodus chapter four. We're going to read through this whole text, and we're going to uh, work through it, and looking at this idea of Moses. What is he fixating on? In contrast to what God is saying and what God is showing, Moses. Excuse me, Exodus uh, four one. Then Moses answered. And God has been telling Moses, hey, go and do this. Go go and set my people free. He's given, and Moses is raising objection after objection. This is objection number three. So we're kind of coming mid-conversation from last week. Four one. then Moses answered, but behold, they, God's people, will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. So Moses is saying, God, the people aren't going to listen to me. You're telling me to go to them and say that that you're going to set them free and to confront Pharaoh, the power of the world. The people aren't going to listen to me, God. Verse 2, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Moses said, a staff. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of the fathers, their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, "'Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue.' Then the Lord said to him, "'Who has made man's mouth?' Who makes him mute or deaf or blind or seeing? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. So Moses going back to obey. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So, call back. Moses had, had killed someone in trying to defend his people. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place, on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, "'Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me.' So he let him alone. It was then that she said, "'A bridegroom of blood,' because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, "'Go into the wilderness to meet Moses.' So we went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered all together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. So we've got a lot going on in this passage, right? And your favorite verses were 24 through 26. <laughs> You're like, what is happening there? I will tell you um, later, episode two, right? So we have this this kind of overarching kind of story of what's happening up to this point. So to kind of just break down what's happening, then we'll work through it. We see Moses continue to object to what God is saying, to God's plan of salvation to deliver His people so that they can worship Him. And then by worshiping Him, they can continue to grow as a people and they can be a blessing bringing salvation to to the whole world. So if God's people aren't set free and aren't delivered, we have no Christ, we have no gospel, we have no salvation going out to the nations. That's what's at stake here in Exodus. That's why Exodus is so critical to help us understand Christ is because it's showing us this pattern of how God delivers and saves. And so God is saying to Moses, go forth, go, confront Pharaoh, confront the power of the world so that I can show my power and set you free and show deliverance and salvation and and make you my people. But Moses is objecting. Moses continues to object. And the first thing that we're going to see in this text is Moses is fixed on the wrong thing. He's fixated on the wrong thing. And when you fixate on everything except God, you will do everything except obey, right? Think about what Moses has seen from God up until this point. We looked last week at at chapter 3, the kind of the first part of God and Moses' conversation, and Moses sees God appear to him in what? A burning bush. He's had an encounter with the living God. He has seen God do this, and, and yet Moses is not thinking about, oh, wow, this is the God who has revealed himself in this way, the, the all-existing, self-sustaining God, the I am, the great I am. He, he's not thinking that. He's thinking about, well, what are the people going to say? He's not thinking, oh, this, is, this is the God who has is, who is shown up, who is showing these signs, who is speaking to me. God is speaking to me. God is speaking to me. He's not thinking that. He's thinking, well, I can't really speak. He is fixated on all the wrong things. Not only has God shown him signs, but God has told him what's going to happen. We see this in 3.18. God says to Moses, the people will listen to your voice. And Moses' first objection is, well, the the people aren't going to believe that you showed up to me. Moses is fixated, focused on all the wrong things things. Or Moses, is, Moses is like a toddler here doing the filibuster when you give a child, hey, go do this, and they say, oh, but my tummy. Oh, but my shoes are too tight. Oh, but my head hurts. All right, everything that he can think of is coming out. This is a great filibuster. Oh, but the people. Oh, but I'm not eloquent. Oh, send somebody. <laughs> Finally, he just says, send somebody else. Moses is fixated on everything, but God, now, didn't he just see the power of God on display in chapter 3, the burning bush. And his first objection in the text is, well, the people are not going to believe. And what does God do? Does God say, well, you're done, Moses? What does God do? God graciously is going to help him. he say, hey, let let me give you some signs. Let me remind you who I am. And so what's the first one? The staff. The staff, throw it down it becomes a snake. And Moses does the smart thing for once. He runs, right? <laughs> as he should, right? So God is showing him signs. God is trying to show him as he's been showing him who he is so that Moses can fixate on not the people, not the outcome, not his limits, not his weakness, but on the God who is with him. But Moses is not fixated on the character of God, he's fixated on everything but God. He's fixated on the people, will they listen he's focused he's fixated on the outcome well, what will happen if they don't listen he's focused on his weakness i'm not eloquent i can't speak well right he's fixated on everything but god and god is graciously giving him signs and the signs that god is giving moses are specific ways meant to help him trust god to see that God is truly God, right? The first sign is this serpent. Well, that's specific and that's uh, intentional because of the pharaohs and the symbolism of the serpent in Egypt. It's a way of God showing that he is stronger than Pharaoh, who would have been the world power at the time, right? And it's interesting, he does it with a staff, right? And you see throughout the text, the bring your staff, bring the staff, bring the staff. Staff is like a wallet in these days. Everybody's got one right? So you need to ward people off or ward off animals or just walk, right? You just, everyone's having it, and God is showing, I'm, I, when I am with you, the ordinary becomes empowered. I, I am with you. But Moses still is fixated on the wrong things. God, God shows uh, Moses that, that He is the great I Am who has power even over disease, Right, we see this with the hand and the cloak. He's showing that the thing that great cultures cannot solve, that even the Egyptians for all their culture, all their intellect, all their sophistication, I can solve these things. I can heal. I'm the God who transforms. This is who I am, Moses. And last we see the Nile. Take the Nile, water from the Nile, pour it on the ground. It's going to turn to blood. What is God showing there? Well, The Nile is the mother and father of life in Egyptian culture at this time. The God happy. This is, this is everything to them. And God is showing, no, I, I am the true God. He's showing Moses who he is again and again and again. But Moses is not fixated on the character of God, because if he was fixated on the character of God, the sign of God, the Word of God, he would trust and obey. But Moses is fixated on everything but God, and it leads him to do everything but obey. He's disobeying the call of God. Now, there's a lot at stake here, right? Because God's people are about to be set free if Moses can can go forward and roll with what God is wanting to do. This is how Christ comes through this line. There's a lot at stake here. And because of what Moses is fixating on, his his obedience is turned into disobedience. at, At best, it's going to become delayed obedience. And so one of the things that we can see from this is we are prone to fixate on everything but the promise, sign, and character of God. That's just the default. Moses isn't worse than us. This is just default in our hearts. And so one of the questions we need to think about is, what do you fixate on other than the character and promise of God? What do you fixate on that leads you into delayed obedience towards God? What do you fixate on that leads you even to neglect God who is with you and for you? What do you fixate on? What do you focus in on at the neglect to who God has shown himself to be? It's so easy to fixate like Moses is doing here to fixate on, well, the people. What will the people do? what will the people think? Will the people agree? Will the people believe me? Does he trust enough in God to know that God will empower him to deal with the people, right? When we come to people, it is so easy to fear what they're going to think, isn't it? How is your fixation on other people leading you to neglect God's commands, God's promises, or God's call on your life? How is a fixation on people leading you to neglect God's call commands on your life? Or even being fixated on outcomes. Well, what will happen if? What will happen if I obey God? What will happen if I do what God says in His Word? Will that work out well for me? Fixate on outcomes. It's easy also to fixate on our limitations, right? I can't do that. Well, who am I? I'm not skilled enough. Right When God calls us to do something like love our neighbors, to serve people, to share Jesus, to, to, to obey Christ, and we, it's easy for us to fixate on, well, I'm, I, I don't know how to do that. Well, I don't know what they'll say. I don't know what will happen. Right? It's easy to fixate on these things, and we move into delayed obedience instead of remembering that God is with us and for us. I thought this was timely. This This is from St. Patrick, the missionary. Let's just get that out there. Um, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. This is a a prayer that he had just situating who God is and and how God is empowering him because of his faith in Jesus. And and really, Moses could declare this based on what he has just been told by God in Exodus 3, that the great I am is with him. That even as as Moses is saying, God, I can't speak, God says, I'm going to be with your mouth. I'm going to give you the words to speak. I'm going to be right there with you. But Moses is fixated on everything but God, so he does everything but obey. And we know this from experience. When we get caught up in the what-ifs, we will do everything but obey what God has called us to do. So what is the thing that you fixate on that is actually drawing you from God's promises, what God has shown, and what God is calling us to do as His people? One of the interesting things here is Moses is fixated on the wrong things, and he's disobeying, but what's behind the curtain of his disobedience, what is kind of lurking in the shadows behind his disobedience is, is really unbelief. He just does not believe that God will do what God says He'll do. That's just what comes down to it. Bottom line, Moses, behind his disobedience, is unbelief. Now, it's easy for us to think about behind our disobedience to God when we break God's commands, when we don't do the good that God tells us to do. It's easy for us to think that behind our disobedience is a lack of information, right? Well, if I only knew more, then I would have done it right? And I think we're giving ourselves a little bit too much credit, right? Or we can think behind our disobedience is well, I'm just not strong enough to obey. I'm just not bold enough to, to do that thing, or, or I'm just too weak to fight against temptation. Really, what's behind our disobedience really is mostly it's unbelief. Is there something about God that we do not believe, and so we act in step with what we do believe, right? There's times where God calls us to do a certain thing, but we don't believe He'll work in someone's life. We don't believe anything good will come from it, so why would we do it? So we don't do it. Your moment, you're, you're, you're tempted to, to gossip about somebody, you're, 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 and you know that's not what God desires, that's not what God calls us to do, right? But you know what's really satisfying? Making a joke and being funny at the expense of someone else. And that, that is kind of satisfying. Can we admit that, right? Right? No? You guys are all saints? Okay, great. Okay, I will, you don't need me here. Um, Right? And that is satisfying. And so, but we don't believe that God is satisfying, so we settle for this other satisfaction that comes through disobedience, right? So, what's behind so much of that stuff is not just our lack of resolve or a lack of skill, but actually unbelief. There's something about God that we do not believe. And Moses does not believe the character and power of God. Right? Think about this. Think of his objections. He says, the people will not listen. Well, what's the unbelief behind that? God has told him that people will believe. What's behind his unbelief, behind that objection? God, you are not able to do it. He believes that God is not able to work in the people around him. He does not believe God is powerful to work in the lives of the people around him. That is the unbelief behind his disobedience. If Moses believed that God could do this, he would have had just one objection, well, who am I? That's actually, it was true humility, and God would have said, hey, I'm with you, and he would have been like, let's do it, and they would have rolled. <laughs> Moses would have caught an uber from Midian and been right at Pharaoh's door, right? They just would have done it. it. He just would have went, but he does not believe. There is unbelief lurking in his heart, just like us. We, we should actually be encouraged here. Think, Think about this. You can be a Christian, you can love Jesus and be paralyzed by unbelief. Paralyzed, absolutely paralyzed. You can be paralyzed when somebody even tosses up a softball to you to speak about your faith, to speak about, oh, what did you do this weekend? To speak about something related to Jesus and we're just like, oh, no. Right? Just this moment. I don't want to to speak about this. I, I don't want to share Jesus. I don't want to kind of come out. I don't want to put my cards on the table. Why? There's unbelief there. We don't believe that God can work in the lives of people around us. Or we'll go to the limitation belief. We don't believe that God can work in us. I've sinned too much. I'm too scared. I'm too weak. I don't know enough. What we're really saying is that, God, you're not strong enough to work through somebody as weak as me. That's really what we're saying. But if we look through Scripture, God always works through weak people. That's what He always does. Of course we're not eloquent. Of course we're not strong. Of course we have limitations. We are human. We are sinners. And yet God is with us and empowers us. And so behind our disobedience, I want you to think this way, is what is behind the disobedience that maybe you're struggling with right now or that you're most prone to? What unbelief is behind that? What thing about God are you not believing? What's driving you towards that? I love Moses' uh, second objection. He's not eloquent, he can't speak. He's basically saying, God, you're not able to use me or to work in me. And God gives two responses. One, he says, I'm the Lord. I make people. Right? So Moses, your objection is, 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 is irreverent. You're not recognizing that, that I'm the Lord. What's funny about this in the text is that Moses actually says, Lord, I'm not eloquent, right? He's saying, sovereign one. I'm not eloquent. He's basically saying, sovereign one who can do everything. You can't do this through me. That, that's his objection. And so, so God says, I make the mouth. And then God, God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to empower you. Is, God is basically saying, your weakness is irrelevant. And this is such a lesson for us. We think about it this way. When we, we limit the work of God, when we think that our limits will limit Him, Right, how much of our time is spent limiting God's work because we think our limits will limit Him when we think, oh man, I can be of no use to helping my friends know Jesus. I can never grow in this area. We think our limits limit Him, but they don't because He's the great I Am. And He's showing sign and wonder to prove that again to Moses. Right, I, I, I want you to really press into this, especially related to Moses going to people and declaring what God is going to do right? Think of some of the parallels. We, we, in light of the gospel, in light of Jesus' grace, in light of Jesus coming and dying for our sins and rising from the grave, so welcome us into a relationship with God and the kingdom of God, right? We declare what God has done, not what God is going to do. But we, well, we do that too, but what God has already done in Christ. And, and think about it this way. Do you believe, if you trust Jesus, do you believe that you could speak about Jesus to your friend this week and God could redeem them and save them on the spot? Do you do you believe that, or do you automatically think, well, my friend doesn't really, our friend really doesn't want to talk about that, or they're going to ask me this, and I actually have no idea how to answer that? Right? Do we do we believe that our God can do that, or do we limit Him because we think our limits will stop Him from doing what He can do? These are the ways for us to root this out of our hearts, not so that we're discouraged not so that we're beat down, not so that we feel inadequate, but that so we can actually live in the fullness of trust of who God is, right? Do, do we believe that? Do you, do you believe you can share a Bible verse with somebody from the community that will make a massive difference in their week? Or, or, or do, you, do your first thoughts when you hear that go, wow, well, who am I, or they don't want to talk about that, or I'm going to come across preach, right? Do, are we limiting that, or do we believe that God can work in those ways, Right? God is so big, He can use little old Moses. God is so big, He can use little old you, little old me. And this is a fundamental belief of disciple makers, of people who are trusting in the gospel. We talk about being gospel people. This is a fundamental belief of what it means to be somebody who's trusting in the gospel. We, we believe that our limits do not limit God from doing what He wants to do. This is throughout Scripture. You think of even the Apostle Paul, who we would see as someone who's written so many letters of Scripture, at least 13, we would see him and think of him as this eloquent one. But we look at Scripture and how he speaks of himself. He speaks about preaching Jesus in weakness, in fear, in trembling. He says, I I have limits. But we know from Scripture that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And so we embrace our limits knowing that the great I Am is with us. But do you believe that? Do our actions show that we believe that? Or do we limit God by placing our limits upon Him? And this gets to Moses eventually. He says this in verse 14. He says, Lord, will you please, please send somebody else? And this is the first spot after multiple filibusters and objections, this is the first spot where God gets angry. This probably stuck out to you, right? 14. God gets angry at Moses here. One of the things we have to ask is, well, why does he get angry here and not the other seven times? Right? what is it about this objection that is causing God to react in this way? What is it that we miss that is happening here? 14, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And then God says, Aaron is going to come and he's going to, your brother, he's going to speak and, and you're going to be like God to him. You're basically going to be the one putting the words in his mouth and, and this is how this is going to go down. Well, well, what's happening? Well, 14 is, is, is what is the unveiling of the curtain that Moses is coming clean with his deepest level of unbelief. He like, God, just send somebody else. Like, he's basically coming down, God, I don't want to do it. That's, that's, what's, that's what's happening here at kind of the bottom of the barrel. No. And so notice that God has been gracious, God has been gracious, God has been patient, God has been showing him signs, God has been helping him along the way, and he just gets a, no. And God is angered, rightly. He's been disrespected, disobeyed, not trusted, despite all of the provisions that he has made to help his man says no. Moses does not trust God and His power. But notice God does not give up on him. He sends Aaron, he says, all right, Aaron's going to help you through this. He gives a staff, take your staff, symbolic of His presence. And then we see in 21 through 23, He's going to go and confront uh, Pharaoh and go to the elders. We get this verse... Uh, in uh, 2021 about uh, God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart. You have questions about that. You've got to stick through Exodus because we're going to see a big section of that in the chapters to come. And then Moses' unbelief, right? God sends Aaron to to help him along the way. Moses' unbelief is going to culminate in expression in verses 24 through 26. So we've seen Moses been fixating on the wrong things, and now we're going to see this kind of moment of atonement, but is really the culmination of Moses' unbelief. This is the passage that, that you have been thinking about the whole time, right? Like, what is happening here? This is a passage some of you have uh, on your coffee mugs at home. Just kidding. You won't see this on any coffee mugs. You'll see the Lord, as a deer thirst for water, I pant for you, O Lord. That's what you'll see on the coffee mugs. You will not see 24 through 26 on the coffee mug. And if you do, leave that house immediately. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. We, so so this, is a, this is a really hard section because it, the, the language is not totally clear exactly who is who. So the hymn there is either Moses or his son, um, and, and Zipporah is Moses' wife. And what we're having here, there's, there's some in this text that's really hard to sort out exactly what's happening, but here's, here's what we do know in this text, and this is the essence of Moses' disobedience. Moses, either himself or his son, has not been circumcised. And this is the pinnacle of Moses' unbelief because in Genesis 12, God shows to Abraham that his covenant, the sign of a covenant of being with God, a covenant, think of a relationship that is established on promise, that the sign of being a part of God's people is through faith, but the sign of it, the expression of it is circumcision. And this is the pinnacle of Moses' unbelief and disobedience because he is not identifying with the sign of the people of God. Either he hasn't done it or his son hasn't done it, one one or the other. And so he is disregarding, disobeying, not trusting God in a supreme, pinnacle way. So much so that God is coming to judge him. The Lord sought to put him to death. Because he is staying outside of the covenant and the mercy and grace of God. He's, 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 he's turning from, he's neglecting, he knows, but he's turning or neglecting either him or either he's done it or he's saying, ah my son, you don't need to do that. Either way, the point stands, he's neglecting the covenant and the grace of God. And so God is coming to judge him. And yet we see an atonement is being made. So the main thing we need to see here is there's a massive disobedience by saying, God, I don't want to be a part of your people. I don't want to be outside. I'm going to be outside your covenant. I'm not going to do this. And yet we see atonement is made. And what's critical for us to see here is blood. Now, I hope you don't like blood. We don't like blood, right? But it's important in Scripture for us to understand that atonement is made through blood. This is why you have animal sacrifices in Leviticus. This is why you have Jesus dying on the cross, sacrifice for our sins, restoring what was broken, making atonement for what was set wrong. And that's what's happening here is Moses' wife comes and she does the circumcision. She atones for what Moses has neglected and God's judgment, right judgment, is appeased through atonement. This is a picture of what we'll see later in Exodus, when blood is painted over the doors, you know, Passover, right? Where blood is painted upon the doors of the families so that judgment will pass over those families because animal sacrifice has been made. So this is a picture of atonement happening because Moses is in gross sin and disobedience. He is choosing to not be identified with the people of God. And so atonement is made. Atonement is made. And this is important for us to see because this paints a picture uh, for us of just the reality of that God is merciful to Moses, God is merciful to Moses, but atonement needs to be made for disobedience. It's not swept under the rug. Atonement needs to be made. And God, in His mercy, will ultimately not send uh, animal sacrifice, but ultimately will atone for it Himself in Christ. He will atone for us. That is the love of God for us, that Christ is the one who will shed His blood in our place. But this paints us the picture of that. It's important for us to see a couple of other things in this text, is that atonement happening here is uh, a sign of, of appeasement by blood, and this picture of circumcision, it parallels, if we look at Colossians 2.11, it parallels with, with with baptism in a way. So you have the sign of the covenant here is circumcision, well, the sign of this relationship with Jesus in the new covenant, in, the, in from Jesus' point onward, is baptism. So you see that these two signs are, are paralleled. Uh, Colossians 2 puts it like this, "'You were also circumcised in the putting off of your sinful nature,' not with a circumcision done by hands, but by the circumcision done by Christ. A spiritual circumcision, there's been an atonement made, there's, there's been a, 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 a retribution, things have been set right. And then the sign, 12, having been buried with Him in baptism and raised with Him through your faith in the power of God who raised Him from the dead. So Jesus makes atonement for us by His blood. He leads us into life with God. He dispenses mercy for our sins. And the sign that we belong in this new covenant with Jesus is not circumcision, which it would have been then, but is baptism. It's the sign that we belong in the new covenant of God. Now, the reason I point this out is for these reasons. Think of Moses' disobedience here is not identifying, trusting in, being with God and His covenant promise. So we need to flip this into our stage in redemptive history and ask this question. Hey, let's not think about God and get excited about God or learn the promises of God and forget that God has made atonement through Jesus. Moses, thinking about the promise, thinking how God's going to deliver, thinking all this stuff, but he has not really stepped into the covenant of God through the sign of circumcision. So it can be really easy and really um, uh, uh, interesting to get satisfied with the things of God, with the Bible, with Scripture, with what God is doing in your life, and to forget the very essence of what God has done, He's made atonement for us through Jesus. Do you believe that? Are you fixated on what God has done for you in Christ? Are you focused in on the mercy that God has shown in giving His Son for us? Let's not lose sight of that. And also, the sign of baptism. If you trust Jesus, you should be baptized. This is clear through the New Testament, you should be baptized. Maybe you are baptized as an infant, you should be baptized when you're old enough even to articulate who you believe in and why. You should be baptized. This is a displaying the covenant sign of obedience and, and salvation. And now Moses is ready to lead God, God's people. Think of the story Moses is telling, right? He's, he's the one probably writing this, but he's like, man, I've been through a lot. <laughs> Killed a person, had this strange thing go down in 24 through 26. I'm not even sure what happened. And now I'm ready to deliver God's people. He's showing up on the scene. And look what happens in 24 through 26, or excuse me, in uh, 27 through the end of the chapter. Look at what happens. He goes to the people. And what do they do? He goes, he meets Aaron, 28, 29. He gathers the elders of Israel, 30. Aaron speaks, and Moses, and they do the signs And 31, the people what? The people believed. After all that, the people believed. God was right. It went down. It happened. The people believe. And look at this. This is beautiful. The people believed. Why? When they heard that the Lord had visited them and had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. Moses' delayed obedience did not stop the plan of God to bring deliverance to his people. And when the people of Israel, under the burden of Pharaoh, under the burden of slavery, under the burden of oppression, under the burden of bowing down to Pharaoh, when they find out that God has heard their cries, has heard their prayers, and that God is going to visit them, God has actually kind of come down by raising up a deliver, they're in awe. They're worshiping. They believe. They've seen that God cares for them. And here's the thing: the only response, when you see the saving work of God, the only response is to believe and be in awe. The only response is worship. But think of what the people are seeing here. They've had decade upon decade upon decade upon decade up and up. I mean, they've been enslaved, they've been oppressed for a long time now, but they're finding out all of our prayers, they weren't in vain. God is delivering. God is delivering now. He's heard. He's coming down to us to set us free, to rescue us so that we can worship Him. And their response is, ah. See, this is the problem we talked about fixating on the wrong things. When we fixate on all of our burdens, on all of our problems, on all of our struggles, and even our sin, we lose sight of the fact that God visits us. God has come for us. God has shown Himself to us in Jesus. It's easy to fixate on everything outside of that reality. And when we fixate on everything outside of that reality, there is going to be no worship, there's going to be no joy, there's no rejoicing, there's no sense of persevering through trials. All there is, is this feeling of being weighed down by everything. But when we begin to remember That just as God visited His people in Egypt, God has visited us. God has sent His Son for us. When we begin to remember that just as God was with Moses, God is with us through Christ and His Holy Spirit. When we begin to remember that just as God has promised to do good for His people then, God is doing good for us now, taking every hard thing and bending it towards good in our life. When we begin to remember these things, we worship. We have awe. And we grow in trust in God. So, the question for this text is Will we believe the sign, not that God just showed to Moses, but the sign God has shown to us, Christ? He visited us, He's come, He's lived, He's died, He's risen. Will we believe the sign that God has shown in Christ? Will we fixate on Christ? Will we focus on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith? Or will all of our burdens, our sins, our limitations, our struggles, our foolishness, will we focus on that? Or will we see that God is for us despite those things? that God has made atonement for those things, that God is with us in those things, and that He has come near. The question becomes, what will we fixate on, which is really a question of what will we trust in? Will you trust that your sins have the last word, that your limitations have the last word, that your burdens have the last word, or that Christ in His mercy is the final word over your life? What will we fixate on? Let's take a moment to pray in silent reflection and prayer. I want to encourage you as we do this for a couple of moments to just ask God, just ask God to grow your trust in Jesus. Ask Him also, what are those things that you will fixate on? They're probably good things, but that draw your eyes from His character, from His promise, and for what He has done for you through Christ. God, we uh, readily admit that there are things that we fixate on, um, things that we trust in uh, rather than you, and we ask for your forgiveness for that. We thank you that there is no condemnation for anyone and everyone who puts their trust in Jesus, and we we rest on that promise. We take uh, great hope and encouragement from that promise, God. We ask for your help that that you would... uh, Allow us not to just focus on our limitations or to focus on the outcomes or to focus on what people think, but to remember who you are, to remember what you've done, and to remember all that Christ has achieved for us. We pray that as we focus on Christ, as we trust in the work of Christ, as we trust in the truth of your word, that that you would uh, deepen our faith and deepen our obedience, that we can be a blessing to others. and that, God, we would be driven to uh, awe and worship and joy in you for all that you have done and for all that you are in all your glory. We pray this in Jesus' powerful and perfect name. Amen.